morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. Some of you know I've been out of town for the last two weeks, and it's good to be home. There is no place like home. It is good to be home. Strong Tower is a unique church. Uh, I'm very grateful for our church, very grateful for our people. Uh, this is a special place. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12 this morning. If you're our guest, as you turn there, we want to welcome you again. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here. We're glad you could be with us at some point. If you get a chance to fill out that connect card, it'd be a great way for us to connect with you and uh, be able to see if we could be a blessing in your life. Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning, looking at verses 13 through 21. We're starting a new series, a very short three-week series, and then we'll uh, have a different series throughout the rest of the summer. But today, uh, starting a new series in Luke chapter 12. Hear the reading of God's word. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared... Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tag our text today, how to be rich. How to be rich. Let's pray before we begin. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that we could gather together as your people and in this place we can bring you glory and worship you. And, and we know that as we gather together as your people, you are here amongst us. So we ask, Lord, as you are here, that you would speak to us in your word, transform our hearts and our minds to be more and more like Christ, that we might bring you more and more glory. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, uh, John D. Rockefeller was, by many accounts, a very controversial person in American history. Very complicated man with different avenues of influence, but what made him famous was his wealth. And if you know his story, you know that he grew his company called the Standard Oil Company to be the most uh, successful company in the nation and making him thus the most wealthy man in the world. And we're talking like next level wealth. This guy was so wealthy, he is estimated to have been, get this, 1.5% of the entire American economy himself. That's how much money he had. He, he was giving away so much money, he couldn't give it away fast enough. And so he was known for his philanthropy. In fact, he gave to various causes for education. He gave millions of dollars to what's now known as Spelman College, which is a historic black college for women in Atlanta. 
And uh, he, he gave to so many different things, it's estimated he gave away over $500 million in the 19th century. That's a lot of money. He gave away so much money. But one person asked him at one point in his life, they asked him this, they said, how much money is enough? I mean, he, he was the first billionaire in the world, and they asked him, how much money is enough? And he famously responded, just a little more. Just a little more. Rockefeller, this, this man who had more money than many of us will ever imagine in our life, gave away more money than we'll ever see, said to have enough means to have just a little more. It's the cry of our hearts, isn't it? This, this desire to have just a little more. We, we want just a little more of everything. Just the other day, I was, I was watching Netflix, this new show that I hadn't watched before. Someone told me how great this show is, and so I turn on a show on Netflix, and I'm intending to watch just one episode. You ever do that before? You're, you're intending to watch just one episode, and it got good. The story got good, and so I get sucked into the story. And you know when the episode's over, they've got that little button in the bottom that says next episode, but they don't even give you enough time to click the button. By the time you click the button, it's already started the next episode. And so then I get sucked into the second episode, and then the third. And then I think I watched four episodes in one, because I wanted to have just a little more i got to have just a little bit more, right? Or if you've ever been to a buffet, there's a local buffet here called uh, Fred's Market, and they've got uh, these two options. They've got the regular option for the buffet, or they have a blue plate option, which means you can only have one plate. It's, it's smart, right? But if you, only get, if you get the white plate and not the blue plate, it's destined to be multiple plates, like, this is the idea. They, they want you to come in because they know that if you have their food and they got good fried chicken, you go and you, you have one plate of food, you're going to want to go back for seconds and for thirds and hopefully not fourths, right? You keep going back because you want just a little more. Not only do we want just a little more, we want it faster, we want it better, we want it bigger. I mean, if you want to test your patience, just go stand in the checkout line at Walmart. It will reveal to you your spiritual health. Because you just want to get done with it. You want a little bit more, you want a little faster, you want a little bit bigger, a little bit better. And the strange thing is, when you finally get it, you don't feel full. You still feel empty. Why is that? So today we're starting a new series called Dollars and Cents. And just for the next three weeks, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about money, because what we're going to look at today is money has a lot more to do with your heart than it does to do with all of your possessions and the physical material things that you have. And really, I, I got to give you a little disclaimer, because sometimes when the preacher starts talking about money, people get a little nervous, especially if it's your first time at our church or you know, you've been here for a couple months, you're trying to figure out, is this a place I want to be in community? Let me give you a heads up. We're not talking about money because we're you know, prosperity gospel people that you see on TV or something like that. And, and we're not get, talking about money because the church is desperate. Our church is fine. We are debt free. We've never had a year in the red. We're, we're good. We, we don't talk about money because we need your money. We talk about money because God talks about money. 
right? That, that, that's something that happens in the Bible. If, if you know that Jesus actually talks about money more than he talks about heaven and hell combined. The Bible has 2,300 verses that talk about money. Isn't that amazing? Now, this doesn't mean that money is the most important thing in the Bible. Obviously not. But it's a frequent topic. And it's a frequent topic, I believe, because God knows that it's a frequent conversation around our table. It's a frequent thought that we have throughout our week. I mean, some of you might have gotten into a fight with your spouse on the way to church about money. Right? This is the kind of thing that we talk about, but then the church is maybe a little afraid to talk about. And so this, this next couple of weeks, we want to talk about what God actually says about money. How, how does he view money uh, in, in what we see in the scripture? And so first, this, today what we're going to do is kind of have a little introduction and look at our heart perspective first. This desire that we have to have more, to be rich, if you will. And so we're going to jump into the text real quick. Jesus is in the middle of a sermon, and in the middle of his sermon... Somebody stands up and interrupts Jesus because Jesus is talking about something completely different. He's talking about fearing God and not man. And then in the middle of his sermon, this guy stands up who we're not sure who he is. He stands up and he interrupts Jesus and demands that he solve his problem. He says, Jesus, divide the inheritance between me and my brother. Make sure that I get my money. Now, we don't know much about the guy, but we can assume based on the context that Jesus is with this crowd of people that this man is probably living in poverty and he's probably inherited some family inheritance that would have been common in that time that he was maybe unexpected uh, or unexpected. You know, he, he, he's not, uh, this isn't his normal. And so he comes into this money and he wants to make sure that he gets his peace. And it was common in their day for people to, uh, to help out with this kind of situation. Rabbis would often give advice. And so Jesus being a rabbi, Jesus being a teacher, it would, be, it would be common for him to give advice. But listen, this man isn't asking for his advice. He's demanding that Jesus do something. He already knows what he wants. He already knows what he should get. He just needs Jesus to get it for him. And so Jesus responds beautifully. He says, who made me your judge? Now, isn't that ironic? Because Jesus is the judge of everyone. But what Jesus is saying is not that he's not the judge. What Jesus is saying is, what you want me to do is not what I came for. I'm not here to divide up property and to, to handle legal cases. And then he turns to the crowd who's listening to this conversation, right? It says in the text, he, he then talked to them. And this is what he says. He says, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, Jesus sees right through this man's demand. And he sees that the reason he's demanding this is because he's consumed with money. Money has taken hold of his heart. And Jesus says, do you see what's happening here? Take care that this doesn't happen. And then Jesus warns him, warns us by giving a parable. And so we're going to look at the parable today because the parable really exposes what we believe about money and it redefines riches for us. And so the question I want to ask today is, how do we live a truly rich life? How do we live a truly rich life? Let's first look at the good life. This is the first point, the good life. Look at me again in verse 16. 
It says, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Now the parable opens up with this wealthy man that we're introduced to. And apparently this wealthy man's crops had, had been incredible that year. He, he had more than he could handle. And so his barns are already full of the crops that he already had, had uh, harvested. And so now he has more than he can store up. And he's trying to figure out, what do I do? All right, it's a good problem. Most of us would probably not complain if we had more than we needed, more than we could store up, right? He's got an abundance. God has blessed him so much. But then the question is, what does he do? Notice, notice what he says, or what it says, he, that he discussed with himself about his dilemma. Think about this. Right there, if you forget everything else I say, bad decisions start by yourself. Bad decisions start by yourself. This guy, he decides, you know what, I've got an abundance of crops, an abundance of wealth and resources. What am I going to do with it? And he discussed with himself his dilemma. And he comes up with this brilliant idea all by himself. I know what I'll do. I'll tear down all my barns that are too small, and I'll build bigger barns. I'll build barns that are so big, I can store more than I could ever need. Just a little more, right? But why is this solution? Why is this his solution? Listen, it's because he had a vision. He had a vision for the good life. And, and his vision for the good life was, what I have right now is not enough. The crops that I have, they're not enough. The resources that I have are not enough. The wealth that I have is not enough. What I have right now is not enough. The good life is if I could have more. The good life is if I could be in even more abundance. And, and then he tells us his life vision statement. I don't know if you've ever done one of those before. Like you write out, this is what I want my life to be about. People who are planners, they do this kind of stuff. If you're not a planner, this, this is a different language. But, but people write out their life vision statement. He gives it to us right here in verse 19. Look what he says. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. That's his vision. The vision is the resort life where he can just lay back with a little, you know, little daiquiri on the side of the pool and just relax. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. What it revealed is what his heart really loved. See, listen, our vision of the good life reveals our heart. Our vision of the good life reveals our heart. Let me ask you this. What's your vision of the good life? What's your vision of the good life? I think for many of us, the, the vision that we have is, is, is very simple. Maybe, maybe the bar is real low. You, you just don't want to worry anymore, right? I don't want to worry about if I'm going to be able to pay rent. I don't want to worry if I can pay my car payment. I don't want to worry if the child care is going to be too much for my kids. I don't want to worry about uh, the, the cost of fixing the, the thing that broke at our house or whatever it is. I, I just don't want to worry anymore. I want to have enough money that I don't have to worry. That, that's your vision of the good life. For other people, you're, you're in so much debt 
You're thinking, if I could just get out of these student loans, or if I could just get Amscot off my back, because I owe money to Amscot, and I owe money to this person, I owe money to that person. If I could just get these people off my back, my life would be stress-free, and, and the good life for you is if you could just get out of debt. I, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe for you, the good life is you want to retire and, and, and be able to travel, or, or for you, the good life is I want a bigger house or a better car or something like that, but here's how you can know. Ask yourself this question. If I could just have this, I'd be okay. If I could just have enough of blank, it would be enough. But what would you put in there? Do you see how, how the way you answer that question is not really about the money or the possessions or the things. It's really about what those things promise. See, what the possessions promise are, are the things that we really crave. See, money promises control over our circumstances. Possessions promise approval from our peers. Belongings promise pleasure in the pain and the loss. Property promises security in all the storms and difficulties of life. These things that we are gravitated towards, they're making promises to us. And really what that means is they're just idols. The way we talk about idols around here is very simple. An idol is making a good thing into a God thing. A good thing into a God thing. Idols are good things that God created for our benefit. Things in life that, that we are meant to enjoy. Things that God has given to us. But then we took it from a good thing and we elevated it up to a God thing. And now it's become an idol. Right Where at one point that, that vacation that you've been planning for was, was a good thing for your family to get away and to have time together and for you to get rest that you've needed, whatever it is. But then you elevated it from a good thing to now a God thing. And now you think vacation is going to fix all your problems and you're constantly consumed by it. You see the difference? The same thing can be either a good thing or an idolatrous thing but it's the same. But it's not about that thing. It's what it promises to you. It's speaking to what your vision of the good life is. What's your vision of the good life? What we find in this text is whatever your vision is, it can't deliver. And so this is the second point, the foolish life. Look at verse 19. It goes on to say in the story, in the, in the parable, the rich man says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Now notice a few things. It gets somber here. Notice a few things about this man. Number one, he's all alone. Remember I said he, he discussed this with himself? In, in their culture, uh, in that day, the wealthy people in the town would usually go to the city gates to discuss major business deals. And so uh, if you were a business owner or, or somebody with a lot of money, you would go to the city gates and you would talk amongst the other business owners and wealthy people and make decisions in community with other people. And so Jesus tells this story without leaving that, or, or without putting that in the story on purpose to show that this man is all alone. He, he's made his money 
all by himself. We, we don't know the details of how that worked. Maybe it was he just decided he's going to put his head down and he's going to work hard and he's going to grind and he's going to work 80, 90, 100 hours a week so that he can get the money he needs to get. And then he picks his head up and he realizes there's no one around him. He has no friends. He has no community. And so money made this promise that it's going to give you what you desire. And he picks his head up and there's no one there. He's talking to himself about all the money he has. Second thing, notice that he's unsatisfied. The good life is always in the future. Right? This is a guy who, who had more money than most people would ever dream of having and all he can think about is just a little bit more. You see that? The good life wasn't in the present. The good life was always in the future. It was always something else. It was always in another season of life or another time of life. It, it was always something else. And then God steps into this moment that he's in and he says, you fool. Now, it's, it's never good when God calls you a fool. But man, your heart has to break in that moment. Because what, what he's saying is you, you've given your whole life to this pursuit of money and it failed you. It failed you. And then God says, tonight your soul is required of you. In other words, quicker than you can tear down your barns and build bigger ones, now your soul is required and your money that consumed you, it's failed you. See, the hard truth here is that idolatry always drives us to disappointment. It always drives us to disappointment. Whatever the idol is, it always disappoints. And listen, I'm not just talking about being wealthy or rich or, or whatever dreams you have of lots of money. That one of, the, one of the most subtle forms and maybe more common forms, especially for people like us, of the love of money is being cheap. Yeah, I said it, being cheap. If you've, ever, if you've ever bought a van or a car or anything, you know, a new vehicle, you know what it means to be cheap. Because, I mean, a couple years ago when we uh, found out we were having twins, we, uh, we realized that the little Honda Civic we had was not going to fit three kids in the back. And so we had to buy a van. And so immediately I started to look online for a van. And I was dead set that I was going to find a van that would be the best price, the, the best possible deal. And nowadays, because of the internet, you can search for cars all over the country. They can, they can ship a car to your house from California. So you, you have so many options to look for all these different places. And I'm looking for the best deal. I'm on Kelly Blue Book comparing prices to people. And I realized after about two months of being consumed with finding the best deal possible, all I had thought about was money. All I had thought about was money. I wanted to get the best deal. I wanted to get the, uh, you know, and then when we go in to buy that vehicle, actually, then, then you have to negotiate with people over like a couple hundred dollars. You know, you're paying $15,000 and you want to save $100. It's just ridiculous, but I'm consumed with money because just like anybody else who wants to be wealthy, I didn't want to spend any more money than I had to. Do you see that? It, it's still money consuming you because our vision of the good life, listen, it'll consume us and then it isolates us because all I could think about was money. All I could think about was myself. 
So many marriages and children, families suffer because of this. Right? We get so driven by money. We get so consumed by, I got to work, I got I to gotta get the money, I got I to gotta work overtime, I got to work you know, to get that promotion, I got to do this, I got to do that. Because you're consumed with, I have to have something. And then you pick up your head and you realize, I've neglected all the people in my life. I haven't had any time with friends. I haven't had any time with people of the church. I haven't had any time for my spouse. I've given myself to this thing. And it's failed. It's failed. Right? Each of us, what, what Jesus is saying in the parable is, each of us will have to give an account of our soul one day. And when that day comes, what you are consumed with, I, I know it won't, you won't want it to be money. You won't want it to be your possessions. Because these things, they, they make these promises, right? They promise that they're going to deliver control and approval and pleasure and security, and we live our whole life for them, but it doesn't last. Our cars, our houses, our bikes, our clothes, our retirement fund, none of it will last. No matter how much we worship them, no matter how much we love them, no matter how much we give to them and sacrifice for them, the rich life that you and I so desire isn't found in them. It's found somewhere else. The only hope for the rich life is when we redefine riches the way Jesus defines them. And this is what Jesus does at the end of the parable. This is the third point, the rich life. Jesus concludes in verse 21. Look at what he says. He says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I love this. Jesus is redefining the good life for us. He's saying all of us, all of us get sucked into that draw, that, that money and possessions and status, it starts to consume us. And he's saying, this is what's going to happen. Trust me, take care that it doesn't happen. And then he says, but those who are rich towards God, there's something different. What does he mean by being rich towards God? What, what does that mean? Well, he doesn't exactly tell us yet. It comes up later, but Paul the Apostle later in the New Testament, he defines for us and helps us understand what it means. Uh, when he's writing to, to uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, listen to what he says. He, he's speaking about the people in Timothy's church. He says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You hear that? Paul's speaking to Timothy, who's the pastor of this church in Ephesus, and the church in Ephesus had both wealthy people and poor people. And Paul says, you guys are fighting over money, but listen, you've got riches all wrong. Let me tell you what it means to be rich. He says what it means to be rich is to be rich in good works. And then he says, to be rich in good works means to share what you have, right? To be generous to those who are in need, to show justice and to do mercy, to have these, these efforts in, of radical generosity that you are loving people in your community. He says, that's what it means to take hold of that which is truly life. But what does that mean? What, what, what's he talking about, this true life? He's not talking about money. He's not talking about possessions. He's not even talking about generosity. What he's talking about is the rich life that's found only in Jesus. The rich life is redefined as this true life in Christ. 
this life that's only in him that he fulfills and he, he secures. It's only in him. But listen, the rich life that Jesus offers to us, the only way we're going to be able to comprehend it and to live that out is if we understand how he's been rich towards us. Ephesians chapter 1, it says, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, get this, according to the riches of his grace. See, the good news of the gospel begins with the bad news. The bad news is we don't deserve anything. Right? The, what happens in the gospel is you have to realize first that you have a debt before God, that you are in such spiritual poverty, you can't pay it. You can't pay the debt that you owe because of your sin and because of your, your rebellion against God. All of us are in that debt. And even though that's the debt we have, God says, I'm going to choose not to, not to treat you according to your poverty. I'm going to treat you according to the riches of my son. And the riches of my son, the Bible says, even though Jesus was rich in heaven, Jesus had all that you could ever imagine, he leaves the riches of heaven to come down to the poverty of earth, and he takes on our poverty. He takes on literally our sin so that he could give to us his riches. That's what happens in the gospel. God says, he says, I'm not going to treat you the way you should be treated in your poverty. I'm going to treat you because of what Jesus has done by his riches, the riches of his forgiveness, the riches of his mercy, the riches of his love, of his long suffering, of his patience, of his kindness. I'm going to pour on you the riches that he has that are now yours. And because of that, Jesus keeps his promise. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. It's life overflowing, life uncontainable, life everlasting, not life in riches that are here in this world, not life in, in the material possessions that we crave and long for, but life in him. That's the true good life. What money and possessions fail to deliver, Christ fulfills because it's in Christ alone that we enjoy the control of God's hand upon us. We are, whole, we are held in the approval of God's face towards us. We feel the pleasure of God's peace within us. We have the security of God's love for us. That's the good life. It's in Him. So that Jesus can say truly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The life. See, money doesn't have to consume our life in Christ anymore. Money, money can be smashed. That idol doesn't have to rule over us. I don't have to bow down to it anymore. I'm not devastated when the car breaks down. I'm not obsessed with getting that promotion. I'm not consumed with the newest gadget that comes out. My life is not about the abundance of my possessions, but it's about the abundance of Christ. He is rich in me. In me. And in Him alone, you can sit back and say, soul, you have ample goods. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. That's the good news of the gospel. And as we unpack this series and talk about money and possessions, the first thing we have to realize is the only riches that will truly satisfy are in Christ alone. Whatever else you do with your money, that's, that's the footnotes. If you, if you can grasp this, that Jesus is the riches you are craving, it will transform your life. It will transform us. And so Jesus, this morning, he's offering to us, you, you can have what you crave. You can have the life that is, is what you long for, but it's in me. And he says, the way you're going to get it is if you turn towards me. 
Turn away from pursuing all the money and possessions and and giving yourself over to just a little bit more and turn towards me and find that I have more than you could ever imagine. I have more than any barns could ever hold. There's an abundance in Jesus, and he gives it to us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we are so, so grateful that you came to give us life. And the way you gave life to us is through your own death. It's the mystery of mysteries that God would die in our place. God would become human. God would step into the poverty of this world, live as a man who had no place to lie his head, the son of teenage parents, giving up all you had for us. And Lord Jesus, as you hung on the cross, they stripped you naked, literally, of all your possessions. You gave up everything, becoming sin for us, so that you might make us rich. And Lord, now we stand here by faith in Christ with robes of righteousness, with status as sons and daughters of the King, with all the riches and glory in Christ Jesus, co-heirs of the kingdom, no matter what our status is here on earth. We have an abundance of life and riches in you. And so, Lord, I pray for our hearts today as we come into this place. I know for myself and for many of us, uh, money and possessions has been on our mind. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would encourage us with the truth of the gospel. Strengthen us where we are weak. Challenge us where we need to repent. And may we find true life in you and you alone. We pray in Christ's name.